Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. Today we're revisiting hospitality with special guest Leah Labresco. We'll be talking third spaces, messy hospitality, and lots of other fun stuff here in a moment. Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary here on Awaken Catholic. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. Oh, and I'm Teresa Grodi. <laughs> and we thank you for joining us again for this ongoing conversation of those ordinary aspects of everyday life, you know, that God is sending to us, the opportunities to grow in virtue and in love and to experience his love. Um, today, we're joined by a very special guest, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Before we get there, I just want to remind you that if you like what we're doing here on Awaken Catholic, this mission of bringing truth through beauty through this Catholic media, we invite you to join the Awaken Nation. Go to awakencatholic.org slash donate, a one-time or recurring donation. We really appreciate that. Also download the uh, Awaken app at theawakenapp.io. It's the best place to follow the content as well as to get some exclusive stuff if you're a part of the nation. Also download the Hallow app via our link, hallow.app slash awaken. It's a great uh, meditation app. Many of us use it. And if you download it through that link, yeah, you get a free 30-day premium trial subscription and it supports the ministry. And we appreciate that very much. So thanks again for joining us. Today, we're, we're joined uh, by a very special guest to talk about one of our favorite topics, hospitality. Dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, she has a lot of really neat writing experience on this. Uh, we welcome Leah Labresco to the show. Welcome, Leah. Thanks so much for having me on. And I'm going to turn it over to Teresa to tell us a little bit about our special guest, and then and you can tell us about what you've been up to. So, Well, I've been watching you for years, not literally, um, but following your story. Mm. <laughs> I think since you announced that you were converting from atheism into uh, coming into the Catholic Church, um, you had a really high-profile atheist blog, right? Um, and so you got into the wrong conversations with the wrong people. You got into conversations with Catholics. Right. Um, That's right. <laughs> so um, why don't you tell us a little bit you've been doing writing since then? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been up to and something that you're really excited about? Yeah, you know, I came into the church really through arguing with smart, wrong people from my perspective. <laughs> and it turned out they weren't as wrong as I thought. Um, and I'm really so grateful. A lot of those folks are still some of my closest friends, including some of the ones who weren't Catholic um, and who in some ways lost their side of the argument with me. Um, but I've been really grateful. I've been in the church eight years now. Um, and, you know, it's always, it's a call to constant conversion. Yes. So it's always a big challenge to me to figure out where God is calling me to deepen my life with him. Mm -hmm. And my first book, Arriving at Amen, was really about what a change it is. You know, before I converted, I was learning about Catholicism, but I was learning about God rather than having a relationship mm -hmm. with God. So that book's really about not just the process of intellectually converting, but changing from seeing God as a, a truth proposition, as an open question, mm -hmm. to as God, mm -hmm. as you know, a person who loves me and what it meant to grow in prayer that way. And you know, in many ways, that's still the story of my life, and it's still a challenge and a big blessing. I really one thing I'm okay. Sorry. No. One thing I'm excited about yeah. at the moment is I've just started in the last month a new project. It's a Substack newsletter called Other Feminisms. Uh, it's at Other Feminisms. Make note of the s. Okay. Substack. Com. 
And it's, you know, in some ways also a project of hospitality. It's a place to gather people for conversation about what a full feminism, you know, a pro-life feminism can look like, wow. really sparked by a lot of the discussion right following the denomination of ACB to the Supreme Court. But mm. what I felt like was there were so many smart, faithful Catholic women, you know, really stepping forward in that moment. But we know that the media kind of moves on quickly. And I wanted mm -hmm. to create a gathering place, a third place, so to speak, for policy discussions where people oh, could keep wow. returning to the topic and sustain it as a community. That's incredible. Is this just open membership? Like, can I it's open pop membership. over there? <laughs> yeah, you know, what I basically told people, because I've even had some people say, I'm really interested in this conversation. I'm not pro-life, you know, mm -hmm. can I can I subscribe to your newsletter? And I say, yes, like I will allow <laughs> oh. you to subscribe to the newsletter. If you're interested <laughs> in being part of this conversation, um, mm -hmm. you know, and interested in talking to people who are engaging in a good faith way, you're welcome to join in. You know, we're at over 350 people. I haven't had to ban anyone, I promise, so wow. far. That's and I think incredible. people just, people want a refreshing place where mm -hmm. they can ask some questions in good faith and have them answered that way um, mm -hmm. without it being part of the so-and-so destroys opponent mm -hmm. on this. So. Yeah, I think I we're definitely, as a culture, I think a lot of the people who kind of remain quiet-ish, um, we're, we're really yearning for just being able to ask questions. I mean, a simple thing to be able to ask questions, um, and not be treated as hostile <laughs> from, yep. from any side, you know, or maybe both sides, you know, you never know how, um, you're going to be received when you're just curious and that's really unfortunate. Yeah. So wonderful. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to go over there when I, I'll have to get the thing from you again, cause I won't see this episode for a while, but Exciting. So we did an episode uh, a little bit back about hospitality, kind of laying the groundwork for Christian hospitality and, you know, what that kind of looks for, and looks like with us, you know, we, we have yeah. five children mm -hmm. and just like messy hospitality, like just, mm -hmm. just starting by opening your door. Um, and you wrote a book about this. Yes. Right. The right side. Um, building the Benedict option, which is kind of obviously so here's the Benedict okay. Option, um, which is written by Rod Dreher. You can probably do a better job telling what this book is about. Um, but just recognizing that we are living in the West in kind of like an increasingly secular culture. And as Christians, what is our response? Um, like in, in terms of our lifestyle, our living, like what does living like a Christian in a secular world look like? And then you wrote, I just thought this book was delightful. Um, I felt like as I was going through this book, like, yes, we've done this. We've said this. We've, you know, we've had these same epiphanies um, in our own life. And it's beautiful to see the spirit working in that way. You know, when he, when the spirit is moving hearts you know, to find the same things um, as remedies for the time. So building the Benedict Option, would you give me a little, like your your little pitch on the Benedict Option, building the Benedict Absol Option? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, Rod kind of kicked this off with a book that I think is kind of pitching people on the idea of deliberately pursuing community at all. Mm -hmm. And he's really trying to answer uh, an alternate model of living Christian witness, which is, you know, does my Christian witness primarily come down to who I vote for and how I engage in politics? Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. And the answer, unsurprisingly, is no, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's a limited tool and that we have a lot more power in our individual lives than we think, you know, just Amen. through the witness we offer other people. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wrote on the coattails of this and got to write a book where, you know, I am starting more at the premise of you are interested in community. I don't have to talk you into it. Mm -hmm. But 
the hurdle for lots of people is how. Um, and one of the big mm -hmm. things I'd heard from folks was the sense of you have to wait until you've hit a certain point in your life to really be a hub for community. Mm -hmm. You have to wait till you're married. You have to wait till your kids don't leave Legos on the floor. You have to wait till you own a house. You have to wait till mm -hmm. you expect to live somewhere for more than a couple of years at a time. Mm -hmm. And my books project is really all about what kind of meaningful community can you build over the time scale of the next two weeks to two months? Mm -hmm. You don't have to have your whole life in order. You don't have to be confident you can sustain something for forever. And in fact, you can't be confident of that anyway. You know, mm -hmm. All of us could die at any moment. You know, God doesn't ask us to plan, you know, knowing that we have an entire plan for the next 30 years of our mm -hmm. life. He asks us to be faithful to him in each individual moment. And that's my focus. So yeah. What can you do even now in pandemic times? How can you respond to this call to love your neighbor? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I'd really, so the the part, the chapter of this book that I, I really wanted to have you on in particular to talk about um, is that even before you had this book out, you had an, a short article, um, maybe in Ethica Politica, I'm not sure, but about third spaces. Um, the The idea that we need spaces that are not, primarily worship-centered or program-centered, but that we can just come to. And we were talking a little bit before the show started about how Awakened Catholic is the fruit of all of us college students back in the day living in the same Newman community. And we had this room, this massive room called Fireside Lounge. And students that lived there could be in this room, but then also people who came from the church or other students from across the way, like anyone could gather there. Yeah. And we threw fantastic programs but really the what you waited for was the after party you know where people would come and we would engage in um really serious and fun discussion afterwards and maybe order food and stuff like that and that's where the real intimacy and the knitting together of the group came from but then after we got married it just kind of seemed like like where how do we how do we meet the people? Where's the space that you know we used to go to where yeah. everybody just kind of came? Where is that? Does it even exist? How do we create it? Um, and so we were just kind of left with, I, we tried to start a program, but then it was typical people who come to programs at the church who came to the programs at the church um, and not a lot of young people. Um, and so we were like, maybe a program isn't gonna work. Maybe we just need to like meet at a pub or something. Um, and we ended up at the church after we got married to like just picking a pub, asking people in the pews after mass, like you look young <laughs> and single, would you like to come hang out with us? Um, and we lived in a Dominican parish and I know you have um, experience with Dominicans. Uh, and so we had uh, like Dominican seminarians and priests coming in and out. So there was always someone to kind of draw people and give a tiny talk at our wing joint that we ended up going. We to. discovered a, a unique charism of the Dominicans is the ability to eat a whole giant uh, pound of buffalo wings and not get any on the white habit. That's it was amazing. Right. Yeah. Which they could only wash once a week. So you're kind <laughs> oh, of stuck. And I think that that's what Father James said. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but so it wasn't necessarily the program that we were putting on. It was this space where people can come as they are. Um, and so in, in your book, it's called Do What You Do Alone With Others. Is that what it's called? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Like, I think a big draw of third places is that um, they're welcoming. You know, they're not work. You're not there for pay. Um, they're not your house, which is a, a real important place and a site of love for all of us. But 
is also pretty hard for folks during the period of life where and it's longer than ever. They might be single. They're not living with their natal family. They don't have a married family. They may not have roommates. So there's a sense of where do I go to have people see me and be glad I'm there? Mm -hmm. The sense of welcoming. I think the prototypical example is the Cheers bar, uh, yeah. which is, yeah. to be honest, before my time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ours too. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Oh, a lot of what I wanted to do was to develop the sense of you know, welcome of a little bit of something that's casual. It's not a big commitment. It's not like, well, we're doing this Bible study. We're going through all of Revelation. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, if you miss a week, you'll never get your footing again. Not that you'd have it necessarily. It's a very hard book. Um, and so for me, what's challenging is all my instincts are much more on the programmatic side. Mm -hmm. When I gather people, I want a plan for what we're doing. I want it to be a productive gathering. So I have a lot of book clubs, movie nights, play readings. And sometimes my instinct is just to even just kick people out at the end. It's like, well, we've accomplished what we came here to do. <laughs> I will see you all at our next event. This but has been a successful event. <laughs> it has been by that measure. I will say that in my yeah. own defense. Yeah. But it's successful only according to what I planned for the event. Mm -hmm. And I was really leaving very little room for the Holy Spirit. And I think that's, you know, there's kind of secular reasons to be interested in third places. It's not only Catholics who want somewhere to gather and rest and, you know, really enter into that sense of leisure that Joseph Pieper talks about mm. together. But I think the, the real additional thing for Catholics is that we leave more room for the Holy Spirit to act when we put ourselves at its disposal yeah. and mm -hmm. when we go beyond our own plans and our own strengths. And so gathering with less of a purpose is sometimes a way of leaving room for that. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, you know, the different things you'll hear from people when you give them space to talk. I, I know doctors have this experience a lot with what they call doorknob questions, yeah. where it'll be just at the end of your know, whole appointment, the doctor's already asked, is there anything else you want to say? Nothing. And it's when the doctor puts their hand on the doorknob, the patient's like, actually, doctor, like every now and then my entire arm turns green and it's really <laughs> been bothering me. <laughs> but, but people kind of need that extra bit of space, more space than you feel like you have to give or mm -hmm. is reasonable to give. And I found, you know, so much more opening my heart to friends and them opening them to me in these less structured, habitual spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wanted to interject something here because I know one thing that we've connected with this in, in our own conversation is this sort of distinction between sometimes quality time versus quantity time. You know, we we think in terms of, you know, of our of our relationships as oh we need I need quality time with my spouse or my kids, and I, we're certainly not the first person to point this out. Um, I've heard many people talk about it, but recognizing that if you put too high of a premium and expectation on quality time, it doesn't happen. Whether you're talking about community with you know neighbors or, or friends, you know the kinds of things you're talking about, but even the relationships that you have. You know, if you if you wait around for the perfect opportunities to carve out perfect quality time with your children. They just don't happen nearly enough. What they need is is just you, and they need they need time where there's not a high expectation on it. Where again, as you said, you don't really have your agenda is less important than what the agenda might be of the Holy Spirit in those moments. And I, that that's a it seems like both the the concept of third spaces and and not taking quality time too seriously. I think they're both mm -hmm. connected there. It's hard to be yes. vulnerable when you have the high expectations of making this date work. Like we would go on dates and we'd be like, okay, this is where we're going to have a great conversation and plan everything for the week. And then we'd get there and we'd be like, cricket, cricket, get a dog. Cricket. Oh. <laughs> Let's get out our pretend questions to get the juices flowing. Oh, yeah. um, 
I like that distinction about, you know, what we're looking for in quality versus quantity time. Mm -hmm. You know, my baby's just turned 10 months old yeah. and it's pretty funny to see what her idea of quality time is <laughs> or her favorite thing is if we all go downstairs together, which we, we, we didn't have this planned as like a special thing for the baby. But if one of us is holding her and the other one's just walking down the stairs behind them and she's thrilled. So for her, <laughs> that's quality time when yes. we all go down the stairs as a family. <laughs> and, you know, babies have a real willingness to delight in the whole world, not just the bits that we're most proud of, or yes. like, oh, yeah. I've really done a great job hitting our reading benchmarks for today. She's like, we went down the stairs and I could look at both parents at once. <laughs> this is the best. And our friends can surprise us that way too. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. as grown-ups, we often have a dulled sense of wonder, but that sense that a friend might really just enjoy being with us mm -hmm. without us having brought something as substantial is important. And I think it goes back to that sense you said of vulnerability yeah. and vulnerability about our worth. You know, the more that I throw all events that are book clubs and so on, the more it feels like my friendships with people are founded on how interesting they are. Yeah. And that contributes to it. But mm -hmm. the harder it is to feel certain that I love my friends, you know, if they're not interesting today, or if they're you know under the weather, or they're not interested mm -hmm. in this topic. And I think the big thing that quantity time gives us is just a pledge of, I'm interested just in being with you. It mm -hmm. takes us closer to the way God loves us, yeah. where God doesn't need anything from us. And when we're called to love each other as God does, that means less a love that's founded on what the other person has brought to us and more a love that delights in them for being. Yeah. I think some of my yeah. closest friends right now are people that I wouldn't have chose for myself. Like I would have hung out with once and not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just, I would have been like, we don't mesh, you know, like this is just, we don't mesh. Um, but because our families were of a common interest um, and we had to do lots of projects together, spending like a lot of time with these people. And now they're some of my closest friends who enrich my life in ways that I, I like, I shudder to think of how I would have continued in such a myopic view if I hadn't allowed these, these very different thinking women into my life. Um, and I think it's similar with, with children too. Children, toddlers are such a phenomenal tool of the Holy Spirit when you're trying to like make someone vulnerable in the amount of time that you're going to spend with them, you know, because any number of cute things that they say or really disastrous situations that occur that just kind of like break down these barriers and allow for everyone to take a deep breath and just kind of be as you are, you know, we had, um, we had a high ranking priest in our diocese <laughs> over for dinner the other day. Um, and the, the noise of the children and the intensity of the children and the nakedness of the children, the food on faces, like it just, it made for such an amazing, it was like almost like a JP2 dinner where you just felt like you were just to, together, um, enjoying each other's presence and, um, that we were all being really affirmed and lifted, um, in this moment. So children, children aren't ashamed of their needs when they're very little, mm. um, and grownups yeah. mostly are. Wow. So I think that's, yeah. that's one of the big gifts of all this, you know, that when you gather together with children, you know, even though all the adults may still be a little reluctant to admit to being who we are dependent uh, the children aren't ashamed and it gives a little more space for people to open up and have that vulnerability and come together in prayer and love 
there's a beautiful essay that's just come out by J.D. Flynn about his children, two of whom are adopted and both of whom have Down syndrome. And, you know, he said it's not just that they're needier in certain ways, it's that they're unashamed of need mm. and that they're not growing out of being unashamed of need in the mm. way that most of us are taught to do. And that that's mm -hmm. one of the things that's most changed his life as their parent. Um, and I think I think that's such a good reminder. And I think it is these casual spaces where we feel more loved regardless of how well we can perform in the friendship mm -hmm. that allow us to enter a little bit into that sense of not being ashamed of our need. And of course, mm -hmm. if we're ashamed yeah. of our need in front of our friends, how will we learn to not be ashamed of our need in front of God? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That's so good. You know, Renzi, you were talking earlier about you can the dyna dynamics of, of relationship, um, you know, and how we you know, if we put too much of an expectation on the time together, then we're, we're still thinking in terms of what I get out of this, my expectation, my agenda. And, you know, it's interesting thinking of the children and their unashamedness at their need that, you know, that if we, we recognize that there are certain kinds of third space places and events where where we adults adopt that we imitate children in this in this healthy way like again an example i love to use here is um, we have a a pretty involved mom's meal train in the area and I, what i love about that event or that that phenomenon that project is that you again we often start by um trying to help people and try to put on programs and events and and we Sometimes it takes giving that person an opportunity to serve, to, to shine, to show what they, you know, what their blue flame, you know, to, to give them a chance to, to do something for you, you know, to show your need. That's what breaks the ice and opens them up. And so I love that ministry. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you can you can get a men's event where maybe only four guys will come. But if you tell them you're going to build, hey, we're gonna a, build a play a, set we're in the build backyard a bar, with yeah. whiskey afterwards, like you'll have nine guys show up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great point because I think often when we talk about, oh, what will we do about single people in the church? What will we do about lonely people? It's framed as though, you know, the married people or the less lonely people will just go give things to these right. folks who are suffering. <laughs> and, and not that they want to be needed and want to be useful and that a big weight of loneliness is the sense of how can I serve others? You know, mm -hmm. I have gifts. I don't know how to give them or who yeah. to give them to. Kimberly Hahn started this amazing ministry in Steubenville. It's, I, I imagine it's been going on for decades um, in conjunction with the university where she recognized a need for the young moms in the area who a lot of them are transplants because they come there for the university. So they're leaving their family and having children. Um, mm -hmm. And then for the students who are leaving their families and a lot of times big families <laughs> to come to college and they're alone. Um, and the moms need help, free help, you know, and the students just need a family to be around um, and to be around people. And so she started this program that now actually has like college credit for like nursing students or childcare students, um, where she matches students with a mom. And what the requirement is, is that they give so many hours of their week in childcare, but they, they spend a meal, so they get a home cooked meal. Um, with that family and they get use of the washer and dryer when they're at the home. So it's kind of like, you know, she'll, she'll run downstairs and switch the loads, you know, when she's over and then come back up and hang out with the kids. And, um, but it's just fulfilling this need of both parties. I think that sounds great. 
you know, one thing that's been coming up on my other feminisms newsletter is just how poorly everyone is served by a very you know, closed off view of the family, mm-hmm. that it's not normal and it's not historical for families mm-hmm. to kind of live alone in their own house with parents solely responsible mm-hmm. for child care and without broader connections. And it's not normal for single yeah. people to have no contact with children, which yeah. is a lot of the time yes. the experience people it, have. It's not normal for priests to have no contact with children. I no. think that that's one of the best ways we can serve our clergy is to give appropriate time with our family. You know what I mean? They don't need to have the kids dropped off at the rectory, but they need to be with a family in order to continue being human. You know, they're human beings. Um and I think this plays a role just in the fear of children that's really prevalent mm-hmm. in our culture. You know, you see it kind of in the, oh, dear, a baby has gotten onto an airplane, you know, which you know, <laughs> may be stressful, but isn't a war crime. Um, and, and, and often in a hostility towards babies just being in public mm-hmm. places. And I think that comes out of not just that babies are disruptive because they are, mm-hmm. you know, and it's mostly good for everyone to learn to deal with that. Yeah. But just a, a fearfulness that people don't know how to deal with or relate mm-hmm. to a baby. Um, yeah. And the more that people think of babies as kind of a hypothetical threat rather than a lived reality yeah. in their own life, you know, the harder it is to picture yourself mm-hmm. married or as a parent, yeah. the I, easier it is to think about abortion. Yeah. Um, I love handing abstract. off babies, you know, like just throwing them at the single person in the room, like letting them hold mm-hmm. them and, you know, uh, the kids gathering around, you know, pulling on their, you know, our kids are a little impertinent. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder, um, since we're on the topic of femis- feminism, I wonder how much contraception plays into um, the guilt that other guilt or shame or whatever, you know, word you want to call it, that moms put on each other when you need help. So I've noticed that even with some neighbors who have large families, there's this sense of like autonomy, which is good to have. Like when you've got a lot of kids, you've got to pull it up or, you know, you're going to be drowning, you know. Um, But we kind of like, well, you did this to yourself. You had these kids, you know, you shouldn't have had, you know, like you shouldn't have had one more and you would have been able to take care of your yard or your whatever, you know, whatever priority we think from the outside is important to them, you know. Um, But I wonder how much contraception plays in that, because if it wasn't a choice, you know, whether or not you're going to have more children and it's just the thing that happens when people get married, um, then it's not like, a well, you made this decision yourself, you know, and you're stuck. I'm not going to help you. Don't go over there and rake her leaves. You know, even though her husband's out of town, don't do it because she did this to herself kind of thing. I think the tendency you're talking about is seen even more uh, vividly and more viciously in the way we talk about poor women and poor mothers. Mm-hmm. You know, that contraception and abortion make it seem like having a child is an affirmative choice. Mm-hmm. And thus, again, what you're saying, that sense of, well, you know, you, you picked this and, mm-hmm. you know, you could have avoided it. And you chose not to. So where does my responsibility come in? Yeah. And I think I think that's wicked and wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it really it's false. You know, on every level, we have a duty to all the vulnerable. We have a duty yeah. to all children. We have a duty to the poor, particularly. And yeah. if their need is acute, that says more about our lack of charity than mm-hmm. their lack of responsibility most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this real consumer mindset that a child is something you go get at the baby store when you're ready. 
um, mm -hmm. you know, and if you you buy it too early or you know, make the wrong choice, you know, then you're not a savvy consumer of children. Mm. We recently had uh, a host here on Awakening Catholic did a, a series kind of reviewing Catholic social teaching. And it, it just struck me. It was a great presentation he gave, but it, it strikes me how often, you know, in the political discourse of our time, we stay on the surface level of kind of the end, the end conclusions, the parties, the names, the different stuff. But you know, backing up to simply, well, for, for Catholics, it, it all has to grow out of human dignity, and solidarity, and subsidiarity. You know, if you if you back up to those principles, and then you return, you recognize that so much of what we talk about is just it's nonsense, because we can agree on those principles. You know, that solidarity, that's not something extra. That's not this party's or that party's. That's our calling as humans, as Catholics. Like, we are called to live in solidarity with other human beings. And so, like, that comes at, at us as something extra or added or some, you know, that someone's proposing or imposing on us rather than that. And that's part of our vocation as human beings. And I think we also see that in our culture, we use one sin to cover another. Um, mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is... You know, we can already see a real dereliction of the preferential option for the poor when we look at what the poverty rate in the United States is and how many children already live in poverty. Mm -hmm. But then you have to remember that's not all the children who are conceived in poverty. That the numbers are larger if every child, you know, who was brought into this world made it all the way to birth. And you know, the the rate of abortion is in fact hiding from us the extent of our you know, mm. debt and dereliction of duty to the poor. There are a lot more poor children in the world and we just lose some of them before birth. But mm. when we say, what would it take to do full justice here? What would it take to show solidarity? It wouldn't even be a matter of closing the present gap, but of really noticing that missing group of children and doing right by them as well. Well, that's another reason why this topic is so important because, you know, if we become awakened to those realities, then the difficulty it tends to be that we, we only look at them as external realities out there, the injustice of society. Well, the injustice of society comes from the injustice in terms of my own virtue, you know, like, and, and but we have to start with manageable bites. Like, again, it starts with my, my, my hospitality. What hospitality can I show in manageable bites? And that can grow and, and blossom from there. But we have to talk about, again, the it, just like with the quality time versus quantity time in the third spaces. Like if we, if we get too hyper-focused on the, on the big giant problem, we actually make ourselves uh, unable to do anything about it. So we have to start kind of where we are. Yeah. And that brings us back down to the scale of inviting mm -hmm. people into where we are. You know, yes. It won't be the solution to an abortion culture in the U.S., but it is a small help to mm -hmm. be a parent and have people over without having your whole living room tidy. Yeah. Uh, so that when your other friends see that, they go, oh, it doesn't mean that to have kids, I can either never see anyone else or I have to have, you know, a Martha Stewart home to be allowed to invite people in. Yeah. You know, it can be the case that I have my friends over and they hold my baby and my mm -hmm. baby just spits up all over them and there's a big mess, you yeah. know, and that yeah. won't be the end of our friendship because yeah. people, unless they see that, they don't know. If you don't string your friendship a little bit with messiness, yeah. people don't know that if there's a little bit of messiness, you'll mm -hmm. still love them. Or even like after the first one or two babies, when the person is reeling, you know, we, we all go through like you're reeling how differently your life looks and how uncontrolled your life looks and that you can never get on top of anything ever again in your life. You, you just feel like you're in this tunnel of it's never mm -hmm. going to be better. It's never going to be better. Um, 
to have to call to mind those times you went to a friend's house who has more kids than you and that it was she still talked to you and she still, you know, was able to be present to you. And yep, her kids were running around naked and, you know, like all these things were happening while she's like hanging out with you. And those were things that I like clung to during my hardest times, you know, after my second and my third, that I I just clung to these other women who had more children than I did earlier than I did and whose houses I went to were messy and you had to climb over stuff or sit on stuff or like, you know what I mean? Like, and I just really clung to that and I'm like, it's going to be okay. You know, these women are pillars in their community in terms of Catholic, you know, they're trusted in their Catholic community. They're, you know, the women who other women go to and their life is really messy and uncontrolled, but they're holy people. I joy. And I can, yeah. And I can do that. Um, I really loved the question that you asked yourself um, in your example in the book, um, Aura at Labora Cookies, where you started with the question, where do I feel? I wrote it down real quick. Um, you started with the question, like, what is a time where I feel small and meaningless? Like where I feel like I don't have dignity and to attack that lie and fill it with hospitality. And what you did, you know, you... Um, you felt small and meaningless when you applied for jobs because you knew you were going to get rejection and you knew, you know, like you knew that this was like a, in some ways like really futile <laughs> to like set your mind on any of these jobs because you know you're going to get rejected and like it's just so uh, depressing. Um, would you explain that so that I'm not putting words in your mouth? Would you explain that better? Absolutely. You know, it's just it's the whole process of asking people to rule on your worth and having them say, no. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like it's the, the full sum up of why applying for jobs is so depressing. Yeah. Um, and I was going through a period of, you know, applying for a while and getting nothing, you know, mm-hmm. not even a no, a silence of, I can't be bothered to say no to you. That's how little <laughs> you count. And it's, it's the kind of thing, just like what you were saying about how we feel about our own homes, um, that when it happened to me, it felt crushing. Mm-hmm. In the same way, you look around your own home, you see the mess, and it feels impossible to invite people mm-hmm. over. But when you go to someone else's house and their kids are running around naked, you know, you might laugh, but you don't leave it saying, wow, you know, everything had not been vacuumed that day. And mm-hmm. one of the kids was naked and this is unacceptable to me. But, but you picture someone doing that mm-hmm. leaving your house, mm-hmm. right? And in the same way, part of what kind of broke through to me is that I had other friends applying for jobs who sounded miserable mm-hmm. and sounded, you know, like they were really leaning into despair, that sense of worthlessness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that felt reasonable when it was me. And when it was them, I was furious. You know, if anyone had walked around telling my friends they were worthless, I would have mm-hmm. punched them in the face. <laughs> it's completely <laughs> unacceptable to me. Yeah. And of course, it's unacceptable when it comes to me, too. I, I feel like it's a big part of my prayer life, which is the, mm-hmm. all those things that don't come from God, that sense of our own worthlessness, mm-hmm. our insufficiency to do what God has already clearly placed before us and encouraged mm-hmm. us in, you know often for me, the my prayer response is to just think of other friends who struggle with that problem and at least pray for them because I mm. know it's not true when it's about them. Yeah. yeah, And that means it's probably not true about me either. Yeah, And so that's why I gathered folks together so we could just offer uh, by our presence a witness to the fact that these feelings of worthlessness were a lie. Yeah. And especially the feelings of our worth being mediated solely through our jobs, also a lie. Yeah, And we got together, we prayed, we worked on job applications, uh, we ate dinner, we prayed, we worked on job applications, and then we had a skillet cookie, which is a just a cookie the size of a whole skillet. 
And the goal was just every moment you could look up from that kind of depressing void of the application and see other people mm -hmm. there who had prayed with you, who were eating with you, who were yeah. real in a way that that voice like is less real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And then offering like offering the accountability and offering the help of reading. You said you would be there to like read. It's just like a win, 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 win situation. We have um, our mom's group does craft nights. Um, which sound intimidating, but they're really like bring any particular project you've been working on or like we had a woman once bring the contents of her junk drawer to organize. <laughs> um, but it just gives you like you're doing something that you do alone, but instead you're doing it with other people and wine and a treat. And a lot of times those nights, those mom's nights are like they go to 1230, you know, like they just go into the morning um, because we're just enjoying the time and we get our projects done, you know. And so um, th those have been some of the most solidifying um, evenings for our group. Yeah, when I when I used to travel pre-pandemic and give book <laughs> talks, I'd ask people about what they did alone that they wished they could do with someone else. Mm. And I remember one of the examples someone said was just that when they have a recipe with a lot of chopping, they wish there was someone else there in the kitchen. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it'd be fine. You could bring over your vegetables and then take them home at the yeah. end in a Tupperware. And we just all do that together. Idea. Yeah. And I think kitchens, you know, are meant to be kind of slightly busy, slightly yeah. noisy spaces. And when you're living on your own, it can be pretty depressing, you know, to cook mm -hmm. just for yourself or just to prep just for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we have friends who are regenerative farmers um, and they have a variety of animals and stuff like that. But she'll frequently have people over for like cheese making or applesauce, like making applesauce or canning or something like that. Something that would take her a really long time or pig slaughtering. <laughs> something that would take them a really long time um, that they everybody can just kind of do together, learn a skill, have some fun and then help them out too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us, spending this lovely third space of our friends' living <laughs> living room joining Virtual us here. Um, can you tell people where to find you real sure. quick? You, you can find my website at leahlabresco.com. I'm on Twitter doing Twitter things at the same name, Leah Labresco. Um, and that feminism substack is otherfeminisms.substack.com. And if I were going to leave folks with one piece of advice, especially when you may not be able to gather in the way you want to, it's that the number one thing I try and do is that whenever I'm with another Christian, to pray together while we're together. Mm -hmm. And so for right now, that might mean while you're on the phone, you know, while mm -hmm. you're on Zoom, uh, while you're outside clutching hand warmers in the middle of the winter while standing apart from each other. But really just asking, what can I pray for for you? Mm -hmm. Would you like to pray for it right now? is the biggest thing to really invite the Holy Spirit in and make sure you're not sticking just to your plans, which are always smaller than God's plans. Well, that's so good. And I, I suppose I'd be remiss then if we didn't didn't pray. I'd be happy to lead one. Would you like to lead a prayer? No, after you. Okay, well, I'll, I'll close this in prayer then. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this day and for all your blessings, but especially the blessings of our relationships and our families. We ask you to trust in you, uh, the grace to trust in you enough to take small bites, to to make messy, messy hospitality, to invite people into our mess, into our humility, uh, that your name may be glorified. In the most holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Leah. Uh, it was so great to talk to you. Um, I wanted to remind the listeners uh, again that uh, if you enjoy what we're doing here on Awaken Catholic and on this show, Elevate Ordinary, go to awakencatholic.org slash donate and become part a partner with us in bringing truth through beauty through this, this Catholic media. Uh, and also, if you download the app at uh, theawakenapp.io, it's a great way to follow the content and interact with the hosts and guests and uh, the hosts uh, and uh, get access to additional stuff if uh, you become a supporter. But also download the Halo app, halo.app slash awaken. That link gets you a 30-day free premium subscription and supports our ministry, which we really, really appreciate uh, that. So thank you so much for joining us again here on Elevate Ordinary. God bless, and we'll see you next week. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Halo app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.